Shalom, and welcome to the second part of Sermon 3 in the Book of Leviticus with Messianic leader Jacques-Isaac Gabizon. As we consider atonement, reconciliation, and forgiveness, let's take a quick look at the Slach Lanu prayer, a prayer for forgiveness that is daily recited at the synagogue service. The Slach Lanu prayer is recited as one strikes their fist against their chest, as an outward expression of remorse, or as a symbolic gesture indicating a deep reflection, an inner search to reveal what is truly at the heart of the matter. Now, how hard should that strike be to the chest? Symbolically, we hope that it would be hard enough to waken the heart and the soul in our need to forgive or seek God's favor. And as these prayers ascend before God on the altar of incense, we remember that this altar is lit only by the coals which come from the altar of sacrifice. We cannot have it the other way. What that means is we cannot have prayers ascending upwards without the altar of sacrifice having first been involved, underwriting and validating the prayer. What that means is we need the Messiah, His sacrifice first, and then our prayers can reach the ears of our Abba, our Father in heaven. David HaMelech said, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Thank you, Lord, that we do not need to beat up on ourselves, for you hear our cry and you have taken all the beating on our account. Be blessed as you listen into today's program with Messianic leader Jacques-Isaac Gabizon. Shalom, shalom. So it is from atonement to reconciliation, like the title of this sermon is, from atonement to friendship, friendship with God. The point is that the blood of the animal could never remove sin. It only covered it so that fellowship could be maintained between God and man. However, when Messiah came, he removes sin forever and the way to friendship is opened. Furthermore, this is truly beautiful, by the way. Following the path of the word reconciliation in the New Testament, we can learn a lot about the history of salvation itself. The word is used four times only, twice describing the results of the work of Yeshua, Romans 5 and 2 Corinthians 5. The two other times when this word is used is directly linked first to Israel and second to ourselves. Let me bring you first where it is related to Israel in Romans 11.15. This is what Paul says. For in their rejection is the reconciliation of the world what will then be their acceptance, but life from the dead. This is a heavy verse, by the way. While Israel rejected the Messiah and endured such a difficult history and still is, yet they were the link between the atonement and reconciliation, as Yeshua said to the Samaritan woman, salvation is of the Jews. Now, considering their current situation, what Paul is asking us to imagine is the time when Israel will be saved. It will be so great, like the resurrection, a resurrection from the dead, he says. Israel has not said her last words, of course. Now, the second time this word is mentioned in the New Testament regards the believers. This is where I encounter a very powerful and practical verse for today's believers, which brings all the sacrifices of Leviticus at our doorstep. What do we do with all this? Listen to what is written in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. 
God was in Messiah reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. What we are told here is that the work and ministry of reconciliation of the kapara, of the atonement, this great work has not been given to us to exercise. I'm not sure how to understand this except to see the weight of this verse on every believer. Such a high calling goes beyond proclaiming the good news about Yeshua, but demands that we live the message to the fullest. We are asked to follow Jesus' path here, who is the priest and the sacrifice. Believers today are the priest in that we are the link between God and man. While no man or woman could ever give their lives for another as Yeshua did, there is yet a sense where every believer is called to sacrifice when need be and for the sake of the salvation of others, to sacrifice himself. Did you ever realize how demanding it is to believe in Yeshua? It's much easier outside. What does it mean to sacrifice for another? It can be done in many ways, but let me give you one great example in the life of Paul, who said in 1 Corinthians 9.22, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak, that is. I have become all things to all men so that I may be, by all means, save some, maybe one person. That is a great example of sacrifice. He was like the Savior. He was not offensive, but always looking, always giving, always willing to play the second fiddle, to suppress his own desire for the sake of reconciliation, for the sake of maybe saving one person. This is one way to become or to be close to fulfilling the work of the kapara. Change our lives our behavior, our words, that we may by all means save some. This is the ministry of reconciliation that has been put on us. Now, see how Leviticus projects us to so many parts of the scriptures. For it speaks of this important doctrine of salvation for all humanity and everyone, that is. And there is yet another place in the Bible where this word atonement, kapar, brings us to see the complete work of the Messiah. We have seen the first mention of the Hebrew word with Noah's Ark, but when was the last time it was used in the Hebrew scriptures? Let me bring you to this place where the symbolism is completed before actually we meet the Messiah from this place on. It is in Daniel 9.24, where he clearly speaks of the death and the salvation we have in Yeshua. At the beginning of chapter 9, we find ourselves at the end of the 70-year dispersion. 70 years after the destruction of the first temple, then Daniel thought, and rightly so, that the Jews will return to their land. And then the Messiah would come, the Messiah whom he knows because he mentions him. And believing this, Daniel began to pray and to confess Israel's sins. He does that through a most powerful prayer you can find in the book of Daniel chapter 9 verses 4 to 19. But it was not yet the time of the return. This is when the angel Gabriel came to declare to him a new prophecy covering his time up to the first coming of Yeshua up and then to the second coming of Yeshua. This is how he began this prophecy. 
as he lists all the works of the Messiah that he did and will do at the end. Seventy years are determined for you people and for you holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation that is kapara, kapara, for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Notice the six blessings that Messiah will bring to the Lord. To finish transgressions, to restrain it completely and establish a sin-free world. This is in regard to the eternal state. To make an end of sin, to end it once and for all, to make atonement for iniquity. To make, the Hebrew actually means to seal, to finish it. So we are told that the Messiah would seal and end the kapara to transform it to a friendly relationship with God, a reconciliation between the Creator and His Creator. And then to bring everlasting righteousness, peace, and righteousness. This is what all men are longing for, only Yeshua can bring this. To seal up the vision and prophecy, then all prophecy will find their fulfillment in him. This passage speaks of the work of the Messiah for humanity. In him are the full weight of atonement and reconciliation. And to anoint the most holy, of course, perhaps indicating the final abode, the new Jerusalem. This is a most powerful prophecy about the Messiah. And if you have a doubt... Like many do, that Daniel was speaking about the Messiah, he actually clearly names him in chapter 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until who? The Messiah, the Prince. And he not only names him, he even tells us that he will die. Verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. He shall die. It is actually clear in the Hebrew scriptures that the Messiah comes twice, once to die for our sins, and afterwards he'll come to establish his kingdom. This then who is Yeshua in Leviticus, and Leviticus links all these things for us from Genesis to Daniel to the New Testament. You know, how important is it for us to really proclaim these things, to proclaim the good news about the reconciliation with God, especially in these days? Let me give you a true historical fact. You know, during the era of the Cold War between Soviet Union and the U.S., a war which lasted some 44 years from 1947 to 1991, the U.S. built nuclear shelters all over the country. Up to March of 1977, there were 237, 574 fallout shelters ready for use in a nuclear emergency in the United States. They could provide protection, they say, for 230 million people. These facilities consisted of big towers. They were in downtown buildings, in mines, in caves, in tunnels. But there was something very odd about this. Did you know that most people did not know where these things were, where these shelters were? In case there was a nuclear exchange, a study found that most Americans would not know where to turn. And so they asked a question in the study. Do you happen to know where the nearest public bomb shelter is? Those who responded yes were 26% of the people. Those who had no idea actually were 74% of the people. They actually forgot to advertise the locations. They took it for granted that all everyone knew it. Something I want to tell you that believers cannot afford to take for granted for end-time prophecies are not a maybe 
They are a surety. One cannot afford forgetting to tell our loved ones, to pray for them, to tell them where to go for salvation. This is why we have been giving the work of reconciliation. That's what it entails. You know, we often quote John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. By the way, don't stop quoting it. It is a powerful verse. However, think of adding verse 18 of John 3. So that those who hear it are not left with a false impression that they will get salvation anyway. This is what John 3.18 says. He who believes in him is not judged. But he who does not believe has already been judged. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What we're told here is that all people are condemned if they do not believe in God and in his Son. Do you believe it? Then you have to share it. The atonement then is unlimited. It is for the whole human race. However, the application of the atonement is limited. Only those who repent and believe are actually saved by it. And that, well, the offer is very generous. As Yeshua said, the path is very narrow. Only eight people got into the ark. While the door was wide open for years for anyone to come in, then God had to close that door. Only three people were saved from Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot and his two daughters. But they had a chance to believe. The message of the angels was there. They were there in the center of the city. Let us keep on reading, because the next verses in Leviticus are also very powerful. Let us read verses 5 to 6. It begins by telling what the person who brought his animal is asked to do. He says, And he shall slay the young bull before the Lord, and Aaron's son, the priest, shall offer up the blood and sprinkle the blood around on the altar that is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He shall then skin the burnt offering and cut it into its pieces. You know that it is in verse 5 where we finally, and where finally the priests actually come into action. We meet them with the words, Aaron's son. You know that from verses 1 to 4, it was only the work of the person who came to first confess his sin, then slaughter the animal in order to be accepted and the atonement be made on his behalf. Then only then did the priests are mentioned when all these confessions are done. What we may learn here is that the priest could not come to help until the person had first confessed his sins. These priests are a type of Jesus, of Yeshua. In the same way, while Yeshua died for our sins, he now can help us and work with us after we have understood what sin is, what repentance is, what holiness is, as the book of Leviticus will tell us later. Yes, he saved us, but it is only then that the works begins. The rest is up to us to work out our salvation, like Paul says. And once the individual understood and came to God for a covering, from this moment on, there's a great partnership between the sinner and the priest. They both work together. The rest of the chapter, by the way, shows how both persons, the priest and the person, work in unison. All of this shows us that once you do the first necessary step towards God, he is there to assist you in the work and in your growth. 
we had to make the first step and get our feet wet. Do you remember this expression? Getting our feet wet is recalling the priest when they were leading the Israelites in their first entry into the land of Israel. So reading the account, by the way, in Joshua 3 is like reading a thriller. So the Lord told the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant and go and walk through the Jordan River to the land of Israel. He did promise them that the waters will open up, but it did not open up right away. And here the priests were walking, and here you were watching, and say, what's going to happen? They're going to get into the water, but the waters only opened up when the first priest put his feet in the water and got wet. Then the waters opened up. God actually opened it up only after man made his first step. Many of us are waiting for signs when these actually signs abound around us. What stands out in here is God's willingness to work with us once we have reached the altar of sacrifice, once we step into the field of battle. And it is only in verse 5 where we read for the first time in Leviticus a very important word, actually the word altar. The first of 13 times mentioned just in chapter 1. Mitzbeach in Hebrew comes from the word zaba, meaning sacrifice. But this altar, in the way it was made, actually points to the Messiah. We learn that he was covered, the altar was covered inside and outside as well. But listen to the material. The one you see in the picture is Solomon's altar. I really wanted to show you this picture. I will show it to you because it really depicts how salvation is important to God. Because once you enter the temple, what you see is that big thing in front of you, right? 15 feet tall, 30 foot square base. You see the man out there? Very small, petite. You can't even see him. It was the first thing that a person will see before entering the presence of God in the holy place. And according to Exodus 27, it was made of wood. Because the wood itself could not resist the constant fire, it was overlaid inside and outside with bronze. What does that mean? Why wood and bronze? What do these things represent? The wood may very well represent the humanity of Yeshua and the brass that is his deity which allowed him the sinless offering to sustain all the fires of the persecution on the Tav. How could a mere man bear the whole fire of the divine judgment? This altar, in a way, it was made. is for us a constant reminder of Yeshua who became sin for us. But there was a yet another altar inside the holy place. It is the altar of incense, which is a symbol of prayer. It is situated right before the Holy of Holies. This one is different because it was made of gold, not of bronze, and speaks of Yeshua already resurrected, seated at the right hand, accepting our prayers. It goes from bronze outside to gold inside. And by the way, the fire for, that is this altar was taken only from the burnt offering, from nowhere else. Because all the prayers should be done under the name of Yeshua. This is what we learn here. There's yet another item in verse 6 which will attract the attention of the reader. The word skin. 
the word skin. You know, while we're told that for the burnt offering, all the animals, the animal that is, is consumed by fire, you know, elsewhere in Leviticus, we're told that the skin is actually not burnt, but given to the priest and for a very good reason. We read in verse 6 that the one who brings the offering was to give the skin to the priest. However, in Leviticus chapter 7, verse 8, we learn that the skin could be kept by the priest. It says, And the priest who offers anyone's burnt offering, that priest shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering which was offered. And you may ask, how come we're not giving this information at the beginning? How come we... God sometimes gives us information only later on, not the full information at once. This is not the first time where another information is given elsewhere, and we often wonder why. Perhaps this is God's way to tell us to make sure we covered his whole word, his, all of the scriptures. When it comes to skin, it's not a big deal, really. But when it comes to doctrines, it could become deadly. Have you noticed that cults and legalists will often base their argument on one part of the Bible which seems so convincing but will omit, even willingly, disregard the rest. Perhaps the Ruach HaKodesh inspired his word in this way so that we can easily spot them. This is why we are to study the whole counsel of God, not only part of what we're most comfortable with. So the first reason why the priest kept the skin is actually practical. It was for financial reasons. This is what the rabbis have concluded. Animal skins were very valuable and the priests could sell them and increase their revenue. In fact, they didn't make that much money. For other offerings, like the cereal offering, the priest also kept part of the grain. In other offerings, they kept part of the meat. So they would bring them and, and eat them. Paul made a reference to this actually truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 13 to 14, when he said, you do not know that those who perform sacred services, that is, eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar, just like in this case. And so the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. So the priests, like those who work full-time in ministry, are allowed to live by their work. But there's another aspect. There's another aspect to the skin which speaks volume to the salvation we have in Yeshua. Do you remember God's first action when Adam and Eve sinned? We find them in Genesis 3.29. What did God do? He says, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin. And what did he do? He clothed them. He clothed them. This is the first death recorded in the Bible. It was the first sacrifice of animals by God in order to cover Adam and Eve and protect them from the judgment of eternal death. And when the people and priests saw the accumulation of animal skins at the temple, there stood there, I believe, as a memorial of God's first and continual action to save men from his own action. There began, by the way, in Genesis, the story of sacrifice there. Leviticus is, again, truly a rich book. Today, we, we've learned about the word atonement. Atonement. Some may see in this word actually flowing all others which express Yeshua's work on the top. Words that we meet in the New Testament. From it springs these other concepts like justification. 
redemption, reconciliation, substitution, propitiation, expiation, and some will complain and say, what are you talking about? This is too complicated. But I want to tell you, if the Spirit of God gave us these words, it's for us to, to, to go and learn about them. It's not complicated at all. You know? Let me briefly explain some of these words and the great message they carry. Justification means that God treats you as if you had never sinned. This is how he sees you, through Yeshua. This is great. Redemption means the release of a prisoner through the payment of a price. We are the prisoners. We were prisoners, and Yeshua redeemed us. Reconciliation, like we see, it means that God is your friend. Did you know that? Imagine to have such a powerful friend you can always call any time of the day. Substitution means that you, you, you're going to heaven. It means that Yeshua died in the place of you. He died as a substitute for us. Propitiation, this word, is from the root meaning happy, friendly, gracious. This is the result of believing in Yeshua. The word expiation begins with the prefix ex. I love this. Which means out of or from. Expiation means to remove something. In biblical theology, it has to do with taking away or removing guilt by means of paying an offering of atonement. It is the word actually delete in the Bible. You know, it is the word, you know, when you touch the word delete, it just goes away. This is what Jesus did when he rose from the dead and when we accepted him as our personal savior. But let me tell you how these words, and with the two others, atonement, reconciliation, are really telling us. This is something you may take home with you. I will close with this. The first, what the message that we find in Leviticus, the first thing that we see is that God is above us to guard us. Like he says to Israel in Deuteronomy 4, he's watching over his own people. Second, the Bible says, he is underneath you to support you, as we read in Deuteronomy 33, where there Moses says that underneath are the everlasting arms, as if God is carrying you. Third, that God is behind you to watch you, so as, as it is promised in Isaiah 52, for the Lord will go before you, and the Lord of Israel will be your rear guard. Fourth, the Lord goes before you to lead you, as we read in Isaiah 45. I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. He does that. Fifth, he's at your right hand to guide you. Something that brought David to say, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Psalm 16. And six, the Lord is also all around you to shield you, which brought the singers of the temple to sing as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surround his people from the time forth and forevermore. Psalm 125. The seven is the greatest one. This is the most powerful one. God is within you. Within you. When anyone accepted Yeshua as the personal Savior, the Holy Spirit came and dwelt in him. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, Yeshua who lives in me. This is what is all included in these words, atonement and reconciliation. Together, they tell us that God is above, underneath, behind, before, at our right hand, all around us and within us, so that we have nothing to fear. Amen? Let's bow our head in prayer.
Now, Heavenly Father, I vinu malkenu, you are holy and you are just. Today we proclaim your name, you are glorious, you are our rock, you are, your deeds are all perfect. Even in the, the sacrifices, Lord, everything you do is just and fair. Thank you for saving us from the penalty of everlasting contempt through the sacrifice of Yeshua and Messiah. Thank you for our eternal security. Thank you that it doesn't depend on our deeds. We have seen today your presence in your word. How you are so patient, not wanting that any perishes. Help us to carry out this great commission without prejudice or favorism. So that we may one day join hands with people from every tribe and nation around the, the glorious throne of the Lamb. And sing your praises throughout eternity. All this we pray in Yeshua's name is Amen and Amen. Shalom Ariel is a daily radio program emphasizing the Jewish perspective of Scripture. God is not through dealing with Israel, nor will he renege any of the promises he has made to her. Our teacher for this program, Jacques Isaac Gabizon, is a Messianic Jewish believer and Messianic leader at Beth Ariel Congregation right here in Montreal. If you've been encouraged by the messages, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at one 685 5902 or you may write us at info at Beth Ariel, B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L, all one word, dot C-A. You are also welcome to join us for our Saturday morning services. We are located at 6297 Monkland Boulevard, corner of Madison in NDG. The message is given in English, but we do offer simultaneous translation into French and Russian. Services begin at 11 a.m. We have Shabbat school for children of all ages, up to and including teens. You may also download audio messages from our website at bethariel.ca and enjoy other in-depth teaching from Jacques Isaac. Shalom Ariel is a listener-supported program. If you have it on your heart to donate, it will be a great blessing for the continuing ministry and outreach of Beth Ariel. Thank you and Shalom Shalom. Shalom.